turn to the little book of Micah. Micah, and we're in chapter 4 this evening. And we're going to be talking about looking ahead. Now, uh, the seven chapters we have here in the book of Micah, you have chapters 1 and 2. We were looking at judgment uh, the prophet is announcing judgment in chapters 3 through 5. We're going to see Israel's hope for the future, and we're going to look at some of that tonight in chapter 4. And then in chapter 6 and 7, we'll see God's demand for commitment. Now, the question I would ask tonight is how far uh, do you see? You, know, you might, might uh, say, well, uh, I wear glasses so I can see farther than I uh, would if I didn't have the glasses, right? But we're talking about how far do you see spiritually? How far do you see uh, in regard to what God has in store uh, for us in in the future? And, uh, of course, this is really talking about uh, Israel's future, but it's good to know uh, what that's going to be like. Um, You know, it's easy to kind of look around us and see a lot of trouble. Uh, It's easy to see the world of sin. Uh, We see politics, and most of it's not very good. Uh, And we see a drug problem. We see alcohol problem. We see all kinds of problems in this world. Uh, We see this in our homes, in our neighborhoods. We see it in our towns, in our cities, in our government. And the prophet Micah looked out with his eyes. He saw many problems as well. He saw a sinful nation. Uh, He saw sinful and corrupt people. He saw sinful and corrupt rulers. Uh, He saw that God was soon going to bring judgment upon the nation because of their sins. But there's something else that Micah knew. He saw the promise of God. You know, we can really get discouraged if we look at all the problems and the difficulties in this world today. But we need to be encouraged because we have the promise of God. And that's what Micah saw. There would be deliverance from all these problems. And so by faith, Micah was able to look ahead and see God's promises. In the middle of his problems, he was able to head for and hold on to God's promises. Uh, He was able to look beyond the present hour with all of its problems, its cries of pain and trouble, and see hope for the future. In the middle of affliction, that is trouble and distress, Micah looked ahead and had assurance that God would solve the problems and deliver his people. Now, many times, again, we get our eyes on the problems. And what we do is we fail to see the promises. And so we have very little hope. All we see is the blackness of the tunnel around us. But we fail to see there's a light at the end of that tunnel. There's a light. Maybe it doesn't look very bright at this point. But it's there. So let's not just look at all the blackness around us. Let's look at the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. Uh, We 
maybe don't see far enough. We see the blackness and we say, hey, there's no way out of this terrible, uh, terrible problem ridden tunnel that we're in. But if we get our eyes on the ray of light way off in the distance, perhaps it'll give us hope. We say, this is a terrible tunnel. This is, I know there's a way out. I can see it. Micah had a terrible tunnel. He saw the ray of light off in the distance, and he had the wonderful promise of God. Now, when we see rightly, we will walk the right way in the right direction. If all we see is the blackness of the tunnel, then we're going to walk in, we're not going to rock, walk in the right direction. We'll walk around with little progress. But if we see the light at the end of the tunnel, we head for that light. We're going to walk in the right direction. And so we're going to find here that God gave Mike a wonderful promise. And so we're going to look at that tonight. Notice the promise of deliverance. The promise of deliverance. In Micah chapter 4 and verse 1. Notice what it says. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains. And it shall be exalted above the hills and people shall flow in unto it. Now he starts out this chapter with the word but. Because. It seems like everything we've seen so far is, a, uh, is an announcement of judgment. But he says, but in the last days. And he says, uh, there's a mountain of the house of the Lord. A mountain is sometimes used in the Bible uh, to describe the center of government. Uh, this verse is talking about the day when Jerusalem would be the capital city of the world. Micah was told that this great mountain, this great kingdom would be established in the last days. This means that Micah was not to expect the promise to be fulfilled right away. It was something that would happen sometime in the distant future. By the way, that distant future is not as distant today as it was when he wrote this. It's much, much closer in fact, we're living more than 2,000 years after Micah's time, and the mountain uh, has not yet been established. But God wanted Micah to see something. Even though it would not come to pass in his own lifetime, Micah knew how terrible man's government was, and we know how terrible our government can be. There's sinfulness and there's corruption, and that's what Micah saw. But God wanted Micah to know how wonderful God's government would be with Christ as the ruler. And Micah knew that there was a dark day coming for Jerusalem. That was going to be when Babylonian army would destroy it. And we saw that in chapter 12 or 3 in verse 12. Therefore shall Zion for your sake be plowed as a field and Jerusalem shall become heaps and the mountain of the house as high as the places in the forest. That's what we ended up with in chapter 3. But, chapter 4, the promise of deliverance. God wanted Micah to know there is a bright day coming for Jerusalem. Now secondly, notice the blessings, blessing for all nations. Who's going to go up this mountain? Who will come to the house of the Lord? That is the temple in Jerusalem. Well, verse 2 answers these 
uh, uh, this. And many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for the law shall go forth of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now, here's a true and false question for you. You always liked these in school, didn't you? At least had a 50% chance of uh, getting it right. That was a pretty good percentage, right, when you didn't study? Um, here's the statement. Only the Jewish nation will come to Jerusalem to be taught of the king and hear his word. True or false? False. According to chapter or verse 2. Here's another one. Many state, uh, nations will come to Jerusalem to be taught by the king and to hear his word. True or false? That's true. That's what verse 2 says. God once revealed his plan to Abraham many, many years ago uh, beyond this, and that was Genesis 12 and verse 3. Is God's plan only for the nation of Israel to be blessed? Or is it for all the families of the earth to be blessed? Can you imagine people from, say, Washington, D.C., or London, or Paris, or Berlin, or Moscow, uh, even we go to some of the other major cities of the world, going to Jerusalem to worship God, to learn the will of God. Can you imagine that? Well, that's not happening today, is it? Uh, has it ever happened? Well, not really. But it's going to happen, according to verse 2. Jerusalem is going to be a city of preeminence. It will be the most important city in the world, just like it was under the reign of King David and King Solomon. It was, uh, it's interesting that in verse 1, there's this statement uh, where it says, the people shall flow unto it. Do you see that? It could very well be of a challenge to the false religion of Babylon because the vassal nations literally would float on the Tigris and Euphrates rivers by, by boat to Babylon to worship uh, their god, uh, Marduk. But here it says they're going to flow uphill to Mount Zion. And these nations will not come to Jerusalem as tourists or a pilgrimage to sightsee. Many people like to go to Israel and, and be a tourist and see all the things. And they are, uh, I'm sure, very interesting things to see. And that's not why they're going to go to Jerusalem, though. The Bible tells us here they will come to hear the word of God. All the nations will submit to the unique authority of God's law. There's a day coming when that's going to happen. The goal of his teaching will be practical uh, direction for the people's lives so that the uh, people will end up walking in the ways that are consistent with his character. Now we go on to verse 3 and we notice peace on earth. In Micah chapter 4 verse 3, we learn that Christ will be the perfect judge. Verse 3 says, and he shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. His kingdom will be a a kingdom that will have perfect justice, perfect peace. What about the governments of the world today? Do they live in perfect peace? Oh, they talk a lot about peace, but they're not living in peace. 
Are right decisions always being made? Certainly not. Do rulers always do the right thing? We wish they would. Are nations enjoying peace right now? Uh, Does every nation get along perfectly well with every other nation? Certainly not. By the way, does the United States have any enemies? Yeah, we have some enemies. Because the kingdom of Christ is not here yet. What he's talking about. What are swords and spears used for in this uh, particular verse in verse 3? What are plowshares? Well, you have to have come a farming background to know a little bit what uh, agricultural background to know some of these uh, terms, I guess. Pruning hooks. It's an amazing verse that tells us that when Christ is king on this earth, these tools of war are going to be uh, turned into tools of peace. During the kingdom age, people will learn many things. That's what it says in verse 2. But the one thing they will not learn, according to verse 3, is they're not going to learn war. When Christ is king, will there be any soldiers? I don't think so. Not in the sense that we think of soldiers today. Uh, Any soldiers on earth, any armies, any fighter planes, any destructive bombs, any tanks, any weapons, any military schools? There won't be any need for it. They're not going to learn war. If we look at what the scripture says in, in concerning the different war, our world that we know today and the different world that will be in the future, the world as we know it, the Prince of Peace in heaven, Matthew 24, 6 says, And ye shall hear wars and rumors of wars. The future world, the Prince of Peace, will be on earth. And neither shall they learn war anymore, according to verse 3 here. Uh, the world as we know it, nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, Matthew 24, verse 7. Uh, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears, it says in Joel. That's just the opposite of what we're reading here. The future world, the kingdom age, nation will not lift the sword against nation. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And so in our lifetime, we know of wars. And some of you know of them more than others. Because you've lived through some of these wars. Maybe some of you even fought in some of these wars. But in Micah 4, in verse 3, it gives us much hope and encouragement, knowing there is a day of peace coming. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Isaiah lived about the same time as Micah, and he saw the same problems that Micah saw. Uh, They were both in the same dark tunnel. Did God want Isaiah to see the wonderful promise? I believe he did. If we look at Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 2, it says, And all shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all the nations shall flow unto it. Sounds very familiar to what Micah is saying, doesn't it? And many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. 
For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he shall judge among nations and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And the nation shall not lift sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. That's the same message that Micah is preaching. So that brings us to a time of safety and security. During the kingdom age, everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid. Verse 4, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts hath spoken it. You know, this is something that people could not do during Micah's day. Uh, they would sit on uh, they would sit on their private property, but they were afraid. They knew the enemy, that is, the Assyrians and the Babylonians, were going to invade their land and they were going to take their property and they were going to carry them away uh, from their land as captives. But when Christ is king, that will not happen. Uh, that will not happen. He's going to remove the reasons for these international conflicts so people don't need to resort to war. All the tribal hatreds, all the ethnic battles uh, that have existed uh, uh, since the beginning of time will finally be resolved once and for all. Weapons of war will be melted down, remade into instruments of agriculture, as we've already seen. The implement of death will be made to be uh, an implement to cultivate life. And so as a consequence, in verse 4, we see a beautiful picture of people enjoying a comfortable sense of security, plenty to eat, uh, freedom from worry and anxiety. It brings us to how God keeps his word. How do we know that this kingdom of peace is going to come to this earth? How do we know this? Uh, People have dreamed of a day of peace but it hasn't happened yet. Oh, I, I lived through uh, the late 60s and 70s when everybody talked peace, peace, you know. They had their peace symbols. They had their peace marches, which were anything but peaceful. But people have been talking about world peace for centuries. The United Nations is always talking about peace, but they haven't done very much to bring about peace. Is the age of peace really going to come? Is God really going to deliver and save the world from the mess that it's in? How do we know that Micah chapter 4, 1 through 4, is really going to happen? The answer is found there in verse 4. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts hath spoken it. There's your answer. God said it, and that settles it. Micah saw the promise of God. He knew that God keeps his promises. And Micah was beginning to see the end of the light at the end of the tunnel. And he was not just imagining it. He was not just dreaming about it. The light was real. Because God promised it. He said it. And it's going to come to pass. Now there are no idols to be allowed in God's Uh, Christ's kingdom. You know, many people uh, in Micah's day were idol worshipers, according to uh, verse 5. 
It says, for all the people will walk everyone in the name of his God, and we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. When a person looks ahead to God's kingdom, idol worship is going to become foolishness. Verse 5 says, all the people's will, and that means now are walking, everyone in the name of his God, and we will walk in the name of the Lord our God. We're going to be free from idolatry forever and ever. In the kingdom age, only God will be worshipped. That is the only true God. We compare this to Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9. It says, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth, and in that day shall there be one Lord, and his name one. And then in verse 16 it says, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and keep the feasts of the tabernacles. Is Baal going to be worshipped anymore? No. How about Allah, the king of the Muslims? Is he going to be worshipped? No. How about Santa Claus? You say, Santa Claus is worshipped? You bet he is. But not then. And so that brings us to Israel being reassembled. In verses 6 through 8, we see that God has a special place for the nation of Israel in his kingdom. Notice what it says. In that day, saith the Lord, will I assemble her that halteth, and I will gather her that is driven out, and her that I have afflicted, and I will make her that halted a remnant, and her that has cast off a a strong nation, and the Lord shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth even forever." And thou, O tower of the flock, and stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come, even the first dominion, the kingdom, shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. The picture here is that of a weak, lame, outcast, exiles. The emphasis here is on their guilt and their shame, and they've been run out of their homes because of their sin. But someday, God's going to gather the Jews from all over the world. We see this in Isaiah, we see it in Matthew chapter 24, but today, you know, there are Jews living in the United States. You may know some. Uh, There are some Jews living in Russia, and there are many other countries of the world. There are Jews living all over the world. They're scattered because God's mercy and grace, he's going to gather them back together again. And Micah looked far ahead, and he saw the promise of God's kingdom, but he also looked not so far ahead, And he saw the promise of God's judgment. God was going to send the Babylonians to judge Israel. And we'll see that here in verses 9 through 10. And after the Babylonians, there would be some other enemies. There would be Greece and Rome. There would be Germany and Russia. Many others. They've even got some enemies here in the United States, don't they? Just before Christ comes to earth as king, someday many nations will gather together against Israel. And notice again how that just before the kingdom, many nations will come to Jerusalem to fight. And during the kingdom, many nations will come to Jerusalem to learn. That's what we saw there in verses 1 and 2. 
In verse 9 it says, Now why dost thou cry out aloud? Is there no king in thee? Is thy counselor perished? For pangs have they taken thee as a woman in travail. And verse 11 says, Now also many nations are gathered against thee that say, let her be defiled and let her eye look upon Zion. In verse 10 there was, we, uh, we skipped that, we missed that, uh, thou shalt dwell in the field, thou shalt go even to Babylon. They were going to be captive. But there's going to be a day when many nations will come to Jerusalem to learn. The God, uh, God who told the Jewish people they would have all kinds of problems and judgment and all kinds of enemies, but he also told them there's going to be an end to the problems. There's going to be deliverance from the enemies. Their enemies will be destroyed as grain trampled by oxen on the threshing floor. We see that in verses 12 and 13. They had hope. They had God's promise. There was light at the end of the tunnel. Now, what can we learn from this? Say, that's all in a distant future. I don't know. uh, Well, I know we won't be around then. The Lord comes to take us home to be with him. This is all going to take place after that. So what can we learn from these these scriptures, the verses here in Micah chapter 4? What can we learn about this look ahead for the future? How might it apply to us practically in our life of faith right here? Well, the first three chapters have shown how dangerous and chaotic a life can be, how it was in Micah's day, and we can relate to that in many ways, the chaos and the danger that we have in our own country, even the fear of terrorism. Even though our economy seems to be doing pretty good at this time, there is still the realization that our country is still greatly in debt. As many, if not most, of its people. You know, we have threats all around us of disease, of violence, of political upheaval. But be encouraged because God is in control. This means we don't have to be afraid of the world spinning out of control. Whether we experience prosperity or natural disaster or disease, whether we experience good fortune or accidents or persecution, none of that, good or bad, can undo or frustrate the final goal of God and what he has for each one of us in Christ Jesus. Now, we may not understand why things are happening the way they are in our, in our lives today. We may not know how God is going to straighten up this mess the world is in, but we do know this, he's going to do it. We may not understand why, but we can understand who. The challenge, especially here, as it says in verse 5, is to walk in God's ways. Trusting Him for the future is so important. Trusting Him for tomorrow. What's going to happen tomorrow? We don't know. We think, well, we're just going to get up and like we do it, have our eggs and our bacon and, and go to work, and uh, everything's going to be like it always is on Mondays. Maybe, maybe not. 
But whatever God has for us tomorrow, we need to trust him and walk in his ways. Knowledge of God's sovereign control over the future gives us comfort and confidence when we don't know which way to turn. Now, verses 9 and 10 promise deliverance. These verses challenge Israel to cultivate a faith that submits to God's judgment. He calls them to allow themselves to be humbled, to be vulnerable, because God can rescue them, but it'll be done for his glory and not theirs. And then in verses 11 through 13, we find the promised conquest. There's a strategy that God has employed, so he implores Israel to take courage and conquer. The question again I ask you as we started, how far do you see? What do you see? Is there something wrong with your eyes? That is your spiritual eyes. Do you see light at the end of the tunnel? Or are you looking ahead and you're troubled by the current sinful world that we live, the blackness around us? We do need to remember that our problems are not going to come to an end while we're here in time unless the Lord comes for us. That may be something that's going to happen tomorrow. The trumpet would sound and we'd go to, go to heaven. That would take care of our problems, wouldn't it? And we don't know just when he's coming, but we do know he is coming. We also know that although problems are ahead, the day of deliverance is ahead. And that there surely would be problems that would surely be deliverance. And just as the problems are sure, the rescue is sure. The promise is just as sure as the problems. The light at the end of the tunnel is just as sure as the tunnel itself. Just as sin is very real, so is our Savior. The same God who said the wages of sin is death is the same God who also said the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank God for that. And we can have hope even when the tunnel looks dark, there is light. I think that's, that's what we should take away from Micah chapter 4. So much in this passage, but it all comes down to one truth. Are we resting on the promises of God? For tomorrow, for the week ahead, for months and years ahead, whatever God allows us here on this earth. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you.